Welcome to this week's Dewsbury Gospel Church podcast with Pastor Ward. Well, we've been studying uh, uh, Jonah, this incredible book. The more that I've uh, been reading and rereading over these verses, uh, and you know, we, we do need to get a real insight into this because lots of things are spoken about Jonah, and um, he really does get a bad press. And yet, when you really begin to see where his heart was, uh, you, you find that, uh, you see, he is a prophet of God. He is a man of God. He spoke to the king uh, of Israel, Jeroboam II, who was an evil king. I think he reigned in, uh, in Judah the longest of any of the kings. I think he was the 13th king. And, uh, but he was evil. He was a master uh, fighter. He was very victorious in battle. Um, but spiritually... He was dead as a dodo. And so Jonah was one of the prophets who spoke to him and told him that he had to straighten up and get the word of God, uh, you know. But, so basically, uh, and of course, because we read about Jonah fleeing from God, well, it, there's a sense in which he wasn't really fleeing from God. I mean, King David, hundreds of years before that, had uh, written that incredible psalm, I think it's Psalm 139, where he says, even if I uh, ascend into heaven or if I descend into hell, you're there. So Jonah knew that he couldn't really escape God, but his problem was that God had told him to do something that he was quite upset about, and it was to go to a people who hated Israel not just hated Israel, they were a people who actually were bent on destroying Israel. The Assyrians of that time and the capital city was Nineveh and that's where God had told Jonah that he must go and preach and to bring that grace of God even to the Gentile nations. And uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, because... Uh, not many people realize that God was not just for, for Israel. His whole purpose, even in, in bringing Israel to the forefront of things, was that they would share his heart, his compassion, his love for all people. And, uh, but Jonah, he, he was playing about with this in his mind and thinking, God, if, if, if you bring these people to yourself, they're still going to destroy us. And we're out to destroy them because, you know, they're an evil people. And they were. They were the cruelest people on earth at that time. Uh, I wouldn't go into all of the things that they, they did to the uh, enemies, but it was awful. And, uh, I mean, it was the most uh, terrible way of putting people to death. They used to just impale them on posts and leave them there to hang and suffer and, you know, they would scrape the skin off their enemy. It was, you know, as I say, and there's an awful lot worse than that. So that's the kind of people that they were. And, of course, when we, we begin to read this, uh, this first chapter of Jonah, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is verse 1 of chapter 1. I know we're going over a few things, but so we keep on understanding what this, this uh, book is all about. Jonah was the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. 
And this is the point. God sees all of the wickedness on the earth. He sees everything that's going on in this town. And uh, it has been said, you know, that even today, that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are actually more righteous than what is going on in these days. And that God would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he didn't actually uh, bring his righteous judgment against the things that are going on. Now we know that the grace of God is here. And therefore, whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And therefore, we have to preach the same message. And uh, it's, it's amazing. You see, here we, we know that God is saying, I've seen this wickedness. And guess what God's going to do? He's going to send his prophet to go and tell them that God loves them. And God wants to bring them to himself. Now, we know that God can change any man or any woman. He has that ability to do that but there has to be a preaching that goes forward first and there's got to be a repentance that comes from uh, people's hearts because it's only through repentance that that forgiveness will come but God has given grace and he's given a time of grace in which we live and we bless that we are living after the cross and not before it you know these prophets were preaching about a Messiah that would come and that he would come and save Israel and, uh, and all the rest of that but we look back on a finished work and we're just in this wonderful era of grace and how much we need to remind people because there's a lot of people going about thinking God doesn't love me, God hates me he could never do anything for me he's written me off and that's just not the case praise God we still have a wonderful saviour so I'm going to read through again this uh, first chapter and then uh, it's an incredible story and uh, one that has been much maligned by people because they say this could not be true. There are things that are here that clearly are just a parable at the best or just a myth or just a story uh, that we can tell our children and we tell our children about Jonah and the whale and, uh, and all the rest of it. But it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, "'What do you mean, sleeper?' Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? 
So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And so it's a really interesting account. And of course, we see something of the heart of even Jonah because Jonah really knew why this kind of wind had come and that this was really from the Lord. You see, Jonah knew that he couldn't actually get to a place where God wasn't. He was a prophet of God and he knew, he knew in fact that uh, as David had said, you, you can't escape God. Whoever we are in this world, you can't get away from God. God is everywhere. He's om, om, omnipresent. He's in every place at the same time. And so it's an impossibility. So Jonah being probably God, he knew that. And so the, the very fact of him fleeing wasn't fleeing in the sense of getting away from God. He was getting away from what God had told him to do. And sometimes we can be like that. You know, God tells us to do something. And, uh, and we just don't follow through what God has said. We know it's his word, and yet somehow we kind of do what he did. And he went down into the very bowels of the ship and even fell asleep. And sometimes, you know, we try to ignore God's voice. And yet we know what the word is, and it keeps coming back. Because God is like that. Holy Spirit keeps reminding us of things uh, that God is calling us to do. So he doesn't let, let us off the hook. But it's all because he wants to do something in us, with us, and through us, and sometimes it may not be the thing that we want to do. But yet, surely that that's really what discipleship is all about. A disciple is one who is disciplined in his attitude towards God. Jesus spent three years with, with 12 men teaching them discipleship, what it was to follow the Lord, what it was to hear the voice of God, how to pray, Remember how the disciples once got to Jesus and said, and I'm sure that they'd been observing the Lord Jesus praying to his Father. And they were probably thinking, we don't pray like that. He seems to be so in touch with, with his God. And, uh, and it, it spoke to them volumes. And then they said, teach us to pray. And of course, then we have what we term the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. And, uh, and all prayer should be based on that. It's not that we should just repeat that. Churches so often just repeat it parrot fashion every Sunday. We say the Lord's Prayer and, uh, because it's a nice prayer to say. 
but actually it's the basis of all prayer. And if you follow the theme of, of the Lord's Prayer in your praying, you'll never go wrong. We start with praising the God. In God. We, we thank him uh, for his provision for us, our, our daily bread. We thank him for forgiving us, even as we are called to forgive others. And we give him all the praise and glory at the end of that prayer. There's even a, uh, a mention there of the enemy, uh, of, of how the devil should have no way in, in our life, uh, keep us from the evil one. And, uh, and of course, we, we know that, uh, that that was just the form of prayer. But over and over, the disciples were learning what it was to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, so, the, the very fact of Jonah, as I was saying, some people ask the question, was it true or was it false? Was, was this just something that was uh, fiction rather than fact? Well, actually, you find Jonah elsewhere in the Bible. I don't know whether you've realized that. Uh, it's the only pr prophetic book, actually, where you don't actually get the prophet prophesying as such. And yet, in a lot of ways, it has a great meaning for us, especially when we, we look at harvest and, uh, and thanksgiving, because they, the great thing, when you get to that final chapter of Jonah... You see the most amazing things that take place, incredible miracles. There's eight miracles in, 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 this, uh, in this short book. Eight absolute miracles. And of course, the very fact of a whole city coming to the Lord. Everyone in Nineveh being converted. Could you imagine? Now, this was a big city at that time. And it would be equivalent to like somebody going down into London standing as somebody said in Trafalgar Square preaching the gospel every soul every man, every woman every boy, every girl gets converted whole of London is born again could you imagine that? wow that's what happened in Nineveh this was a wicked city Many people say London's a wicked city. There's a lot of wicked things that go on, we know that. But just imagine if that happened in Jewsbury, and we come down to maybe 60,000, 70,000 people rather than several million. That someone goes outside the town hall, preaches the gospel. People start gathering from every part of Jewsbury. People get born again. And in that day, everyone is born again. And yet it says a nation will be born in a day in the word of God. God is able to do these things. You see, in John Wesley's time, they say that often as he, and he came into Yorkshire many times, came to Dewsbury seven times, we understand, preached the gospel. And there would often be 10,000 that would gather in the open air. He didn't have the microphones of today, and he had to depend on the wind being in the right direction so that his voice would project over the people. But they say often as Wesley preached, people were falling down. You know, we, we hear of the, the very fact of in these times that people go down in the spirit. and Well, it's nothing new. As Solomon would say, there's nothing new under the sun. But as his voice was going out and conviction was coming upon the people as he preached the gospel, people were falling down. They would say often there would be 5,000 laid flat on their faces. That's with John Wesley. 
Praise God. Can God do it? I believe he can. Amen. No reason why not. Just needs that fervor and that desire and that uh, moving of God's spirit in us and through us. And so, yes, uh, we find that Jonah, in fact, is a historical figure. He isn't just a, a story, a man in a story. He's not just uh, something that we're using as a parable to get another truth through to uh, people. But it says this, he, he's actually found in two kings in uh, chapter 14. And we find from this that he is very much a part of history. And he, uh, he was actually prophesying to Jeroboam II. And it says in the fifth, this is uh, 2 Kings 14, verse 23 through to 25. It says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohemath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amatea, the prophet who was from Gath. And therefore we, we realize that, uh, again, Jonah was a very real uh, prophet of God. He was, and again it talks of his background, uh, the son of Amatea, as it does in, in the opening of, of this uh, uh, pro prophetic book. And so... Um, what we, we find is that uh, we have this incredible account of the fact that these sailors who are, you know, they're mariners. They know what it is to, you know, have storms come. And, uh, you know, they're brave men as sailors. They're, these mariners, they're used to this kind of thing. But this storm that blew up, it says that even they were in fear of their lives. They, uh, and this wind had come from God. God had sent this wind. And God has his plans and his purposes, you know, and uh, storms are often difficult for us to cope with, even in life. And maybe you've gone through storms. Maybe you're in a storm right now. I don't know. But the one thing you can be sure of that, uh, that, that God is, is here, you know, to take you out of the storm. In this instance, he actually was um, going to uh, have his way with Jonah. See, Jonah's heart was, was, was not away from God. It was for God. He was for Israel so much that he, he was trying to equate why is God telling me to preach this message to this people when they're our enemy? And, uh, and so he was, he was just avoiding doing what God called him to do and maybe he wanted somebody else to go, but not him because he was so much... Uh, uh, a defender of, of Israel as a person. And so this great wind began to blow. And, uh, of course, the effect of it was that they all began to call on their God. Uh, clearly, these, these mariners were from different backgrounds and had different gods, and so they began to shout on their God, hoping that one of these gods might just be able to get them out of this mess. And the captain, uh, he, he went about and, and they were calling on their gods to, to call this uh, wind to cease and so that they would be delivered. And, uh, and where was Jonah? 
Well, he was, he was, he was down in, in the bottom of the boat, fast asleep apparently. And I don't know what was going through his mind at that time, but clearly he had major problems with God's call on his life. And, uh, and he knew, um, you know, that uh, one way or another that the storm was something to do with it. And the captain eventually goes down and he shakes uh, uh, Jonah and he says, come on, arise. That's the second time you've got that word arise. First, first time God is saying arise and go to Nineveh. He arose, but he didn't go to Nineveh. He went as far as away as he could get. He went to Tarshish, which many believers actually, you know, um, in the Straits of Gibraltar near to the coast of Spain there. And, um, uh, and so there's a sense in which he thought, maybe if I get so far away, you know, God won't keep on my case to go to Nineveh. And so the captain, he begins to uh, say to Jonah, where are you from? Who's your God? Why aren't you calling on your God? All these other gods are uh, not producing. So, and then, of course, he said, well, I'm a Hebrew, but I serve the Lord of heaven. So he's, uh, he's not backslidden in that sense. He's just being disobedient. And, uh, and that's why we have to always uh, check out uh, whether we're being disobedient to God's voice and what he's calling us to do, just because it's a difficult thing. It could be even, you need to just say sorry to someone. You need to forgive them. You need to promote them rather than yourself. You know, it was interesting. We, we had the awards here on Friday night, and it's great to see the children come up, and especially the little ones. And they come up so excited to get their certificate. We've given them an award for completing their work or whatever it might be, tidiest desk. or you know, We have awards for all kinds of things. And, uh, and they, they come up with big smiles on their faces. And uh, we had Barnabas as our banquet speaker. What a great job he did, encouraging the children. And he even quoted from George Washington. You know, he loves American presidents for some reason. He loves studying about them. Can you imagine? And, uh, and he, he made this quote of George Washington. And he said, probably won't get it exactly right, but it was something like this. It is impossible to govern a nation without God and the Bible. That was the first president of the United States. But then Barnabas said, it is impossible to bring education without God or the Bible. You can't do it. God's ordained it this way. Our life is impossible without God and the Bible. It's got to govern our thinking, the way we do things. And here it is. This is the manual for life. Praise God. But we need God's Spirit as well. Otherwise, it's just like any other book. And the words stay on the page. When Holy Spirit begins to, as you begin to read, He brings it off the page. And He has this ability to cause it to come into our very spirit. And as we then meditate on it and live it, it becomes a part of us. You know, it's, uh, Jesus said to, to the devil, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God has spoken this word first. As we've got this book of Jonah, God spoke these words into, into Jonah, and so we have it written down for us. But God's intention is that one day we can read this incredible account of Jonah 
and we begin to find it speaking to us now and it's showing us something of our heart are, are we kind of in a process of running away from God when he's set something or are we going to say yes Lord I don't understand it all I don't know why and this was Jonah's problem and he was going to be exercised over these next few chapters in this way of, of God uh, showing him something about his character that perhaps wasn't in the character of Jonah. Because Jesus said it, didn't he? He said, you've even got to love your enemies. Um, and that seems so difficult. In fact, it's impossible unless you've got the Spirit of God in you. It's only Christ through us that can do that. There's some people, you know, that's really we have problems with in life, even fellow believers. And yet God says, no, it's not seven times, Peter, you forgive. It's 70 times seven every day, which means that we always have to have a forgiving heart. But God isn't saying that just for the sake of forgiving someone. He's saying that so that our spirit is clear, is devoid of you know, problems, because the enemy will always work on that. Bitterness, you know, gossip, those things, backbiting. It says in the Word of God about people being busybodies, not minding their own business, but talking about other people's business. And how we need to keep an eye on that. Peter, Timothy, both record those things. Good teaching, you know, for us, so that we're not meddling in other people's business but we are keeping our hearts free and clear of these things. The more that we do that, the more we can hear clearly the Word of God as well. Those things will stop us, you see. And that, that's why Jesus was, was teaching this kind of material to his disciples saying, no, you've got to love one another. They were James and John, sons of thunder they were called. You could imagine these guys, they were probably teenagers. You know, often people say, these were just teenage boys when Jesus picked them up. And they were... You know, somebody said, you know, they had stripes on their camels, you know, they, they were. Uh, these are the kind of characters that Jesus picked up to be his disciples. He didn't necessarily just pick up the nice and lovely ones. He's still doing the same today, praise God. And changing us and molding us into his image through the work of the Spirit of God. And so here again, we have this incredible sense. And, and so what the captain decides to do, he says, we've got to find out who is responsible for this. And so they did what they did in those days, and they cast lots. Sometimes people think it was some kind of a dice thing or whatever, different colors, black or white. And, you know, and then, uh, but the, the, the fact is that the lot fell on Jonah. And so it's interesting that you know, they didn't immediately cast him over into the ocean. This is what Jonah said. Amazing, isn't it? You know, that uh, Jonah could say this and he didn't seem to be too worried about this. He says, I'm the cause. No question about it. He says, um, the best thing for you guys to do is throw me into the sea. And uh, you might think he might have been having a bit of a pity party. Uh, but you know what? He... Uh, he didn't want these guys to perish, and he said, if, if this is what it takes, you know, throw me overboard. And, uh, and so in all of these things, we find that, uh, you know, Jonah was a pretty strong character in a lot of ways. He wasn't weak. He wasn't, 
you know. Uh, he, he just really was struggling with, with God's uh, voice to him concerning Nineveh. And so in these things, uh, and this is, this is what, um, I was just looking for this, uh, what King David wrote. He said, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure Jonah knew this. He'd have recited this as a prophet. He would have learned these scriptures, I'm sure. These things would have been passed down. Even if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. And so Jonah knew that, well, even if they throw me into the sea, God's going to be there anyway. Even there your hand shall lead me, even in the midst of the sea. He probably wasn't expecting it to be quite the way that it turned out. But he says, and your right hand shall hold me. So Jonah was really running away from his responsibilities more than running away from God. And uh, so often we can do that. You know, we, we are called to be part of the church of the Lord Jesus. And because you committed into the Lord, you've been immediately placed into the church. You know, some churches, you know, they get you to sign up and sometimes you've got to do 13 weeks and before you're accepted as a member of the church. But the fact is, when you got born again, you were immediately a member of the church of the Lord Jesus. You don't have to sign up to be a member of his church. You just need to be born again. And you're part of his team then. But with that, and so often what people miss is that once you are in the church, you have a great responsibilities because all of the gifts that have been given to you are to be used for the church to go forward. It can be gifts uh, just in, in many natural ways. There are people that God raises up to be business people, born again, and they know how to, to bring increase so that things can even be paid for in churches and so on. But there's the spiritual side, of course, with gifts of the Spirit that are to operate and so that collectively we can begin to see things move in the spiritual realm. Those who are real intercessors and prayer warriors who, who can counteract the work of the enemy. Now we need to do that. The devil is roaring as never before. Uh, it was mentioned in the notices. We, just, just in this past week, we had two, two people uh, interested in the school. One had six children, and the other had seven children. And uh, one lady, and uh, uh, she's wanting to put her two oldest boys in. I mean, pray for these people, because it really is so difficult in these days. And of course, coming into you know, the school, they have to pay fees. And, uh, and this lady, she, she has seven children. And she's homeschooling seven children. And, uh, and at first I said, and she was kind of just wanting to put them in for a little period of time, give her a little bit of a break. And I thought, well, you know, I guess normally you wouldn't just take them for a, a short period of time. We want children to, to, you know, get established in Christian education. And, I, and my heart just went out to her because she said, uh, one, one is like nine years old, one is eight years old. She has uh, a six-year-old. She has twins that are four years old. She has twins that are 16 months. 
And she says, I'm finding it so difficult. I said, I'm not surprised. I said, you got your own school. <laughs> but bless this lady, you know, she, uh, she said, I really am so stressed. I said, I can understand that. I said, look, can we, we're willing to help all we can. And, uh, and then she said, you know, if I could afford it, I would put all the seven in at one go. <laughs> well, she'd have to wait for the 16 year. 16 months to get to three, but, uh, and she really meant that, and uh, I said, look, we, you know, we'd be very happy to, to help out, and maybe we'll see the two oldest boys come, and, um, but, you know, and another lady, she, she has six, she's living over uh, in Lancashire, and she's prepared to, to move so that they can be near the school. And I think it was this lady, maybe someone else, we, we've been having uh, different inquiries, but um, one, one of the children were told that they had to write about Harry Potter in a school lesson. And uh, she went and said, I'm sorry, but I don't want my child writing about Harry Potter. And they said, well, they've got to. Otherwise, they will be excluded from the school. So you can imagine she withdrew the child. But you see, you, you think, well, how can these things go on in these days? But they do. And of course, people don't think there's anything wrong with these things. But even this week, I had a visit from Wakefield. Uh, um, they, they come and, and visit the school and they check out on, you know, students and so on. And uh, he, he's grown to find out a little bit. Uh, he's been maybe three years now, to see us. And, and he made uh, a point that, uh, that basically, you know, with, with these children, they really de do need protecting in these days. And the things that are happening to them, the things that are being said and done, um, are just not right. I thought, well, he's coming from a secular point of view, but he could see the dangers of this. And I'm sure that he's beginning to realize what we're doing here has, uh, you know, such good effect on the children. And um, so I think these people need to see us. You know, some people say, oh, we don't want these people meddling in. But I think, uh, well, why should we be ashamed? You know, it's really, we're not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We're not ashamed of the things that we do in this school. Yes, they are different because the children are being fed the word of God so, so much during almost every lesson they're, they're seeing scriptures whether doing math, science, or whatever. But the effect is uh, we, we see the results and we are producing salt and light, you know, so that this world can see the effects of, of what God has intended, the way that we, uh, we train up children. And so, bless God, he, uh, as I was saying, that I'm sure that Jonah knew that even being thrown into the deep, well, uh, either way, God's going to be there and uh, if he wants to save me from that, then he can do that. But then what about this, this fish? It doesn't say it was a whale. It says it was a fish, a great fish that, uh, that God had... Uh, I mean, I, I could never find a problem with uh, believing this account because it's God anyway. God could produce a, a fish so big that, you know, he could swallow all of us, you know, if it came to it. <laughs> But here we are, praise God, we're reading this account. And, um, but, but what is interesting, um, I, was, I, uh, I was reading about, um, there, there was a report, this, I think it was actually in the Daily Mail, 
um, back in February 1891. So I, I haven't got the paper, um, but I've got it on good account that this was a, a record of, of uh, an instance that happened. I've read about it in a couple of different places. And uh, there was a, a whale ship. Uh, it was called the Star of the East. And it was, it was actually working off the, um, the islands of the Falklands way down in Argentina. And um, uh, they, they were obviously looking for whales. They, uh, they, they were a great prophet in uh, capturing whales and using you know, every part of the whale. And, and so they came, they, they actually sighted this, this whale, a great whale, uh, about three miles off, off the coast of the Falklands. And so they, uh, they, they drew up close, and then, as they used to do, they used to put down two of the little boats that, that would carry the harpoons. And uh, the sailors uh, uh, managed to harpoon this whale. And, uh, and, but as, as the, the whale began to, to really uh, splash about, it actually caught one of the other boats, and it threw the whole of the, the, the boat over. And I think there were uh, two or three sailors in that. Uh, one of them uh, was drowned. Um, I think one was rescued, but the other one wasn't found. They didn't find his body. And, uh, and then, as they, they would do, they, they actually killed the whale eventually. Then they draw it up to the side of, of the big ship. And then they begin to work, taking all the blubber off. And they used axes and... Uh, spades and uh, and eventually what they they did they oist the whale then onto the deck or the stomach of the whale and as they did this they uh, and it took them you know this is like the next day uh, they worked uh, kind of day and night taking the blubber off and then they oisted it the next day onto the ship and as as they got this great stomach of this whale on on the deck they began to see that there were kind of movements from within and uh, so they kind of uh, uh, carefully uncovered things and they found this sailor inside doubled up and he was unconscious and uh, they, they, they kind of laid him out on the deck and then they got seawater poured all the seawater over him and uh, amazingly he kind of uh, revived but he, uh, he, he was kind of senseless. And uh, after about two weeks, they, the captain put him down in his cabin. And, uh, and eventually, he began to, to come back. And, uh, uh, and of course, then they would ask him the question, you know. I mean, he was completely okay. Within three weeks, he was, still, he was back working on the ship. This guy had been inside this whale. And uh, he said... Uh, his, his kind of memory of what actually happened was that uh, all he knew that all the foam uh, from the, the, the whale had surrounded him as he was thrown into the sea. The next thing he knew, he was in complete darkness. Didn't know where he was. He said, and all I could think of, I've got to find an exit. So he said as he tried to get... Uh, uh, not knowing exactly where he was, he just knew it was total darkness, and he said, all I could feel was slime on the walls, as it were, as he was trying to get out. He said, and then the recollection came to him, I'm actually inside this great whale. Uh, 
he says, and with that, he, he says, I went into unconsciousness. And so that was an actual true account of, uh, of a man being swallowed by a whale. And when people say those things couldn't happen, you know, and they come up with all kinds of reasons why. But uh, uh, there it is, it's on record, and uh, his name was James Bartley. And um, the, the captain actually filled in his log. It said, James Bartley presumed uh, drowned at sea. You know, went overboard and was, and that's how he filled his log in. Um, so uh, sometime after, of course, he, uh, he did recover completely. David Pawson, um, uh, who was a great preacher, English uh, pastor, he was a Baptist pastor down in uh, Guildford for many years. He, uh, he actually um, prayed for us many years ago um, before we kind of really got started as a fellowship. Um, great man of God. He said this, um, that when he was in, uh, I think it was his first church that he pastored down London Way, and he said there there was a blacksmith who was part of the congregation, but his son uh, actually worked over in California, and he worked in one of these kind of uh, places where they had these large tanks, and uh, he said that in one of these large tanks they had a whale, and they had a, uh, what's the other, the smaller... Porpoise. Is it not, not porpoise. No, no. The, the dolphin, yeah. And, and so, so the, the whale, apparently, and the dolphin were best friends. They just played together and, you know, they, they were, everything they did, they did together in this great big tank. And, of course, people come and observe. But one day, the dolphin died. And um, so they obviously were going to extract the dolphin out of the tank. But every time they, uh, the people, and of course it was this son of the blacksmith who was involved with this, he, uh, he said we couldn't get near because what the whale did, it actually took the dolphin into its mouth. And the dolphin was like the size of a man. And for three days, interestingly, the dolphin was inside the whale, but every now and again, and they put this all on film apparently, and David Pawson said it's seen the film of, of this actual instance that the, the whale would come above the surface and it would bring the porpoise out of its mouth. And they believed that it was trying to bring air into the porpoise for it to continue to live. And he said, time and time again, he would do this. And for three days, it was kept in, in, in kind of the, the, uh, the whale. So, again, you know, just proof that uh, these things are, are remarkable and so possible. Sadly, the dolphin didn't recover like Jonah and our friend uh, James Bartley. But maybe what the uh, dolphin needed was an awakening rather than a revival. So you can only revive something that's already got life in it. The dolphin had died as it happened. Uh, Jonah hadn't died and neither had James Bartley, and, uh, but they did need reviving. With James Bartley, they said that uh, he, was, he was disfigured for the rest of his life, having been in this whale, um, because they, they said that every part of his, his body that wasn't covered by clothing uh, was bleached. 
and all of the digestive uh, juices of the whale had caused that to happen. So his face, his hands, you know, and I suspect maybe uh, parts of his legs were, were just, and they said it was ghostly white. And so he, he, li- he looked like that for the rest of his life. But nevertheless, he did survive. As we find that Jonah did, praise God, um, because God hadn't finished with him. And the fact that you are all here this morning, I trust, alive, then God's still got things for you to do. Amen. And uh, he hadn't given up on Jonah. And thank God, God doesn't give up on you and me. And we do fail. We do let him down. We don't always do the things that God has told us to do. But he never leaves us and never forsakes us. Amen. And so in all of these things, beloved, we've got to look at this account because we realize that uh, it says in verse 5 that the mariners were afraid. Every man cried out to his God. What did they do? They threw the cargo over because clearly, you know, they thought, well, if we lighten the load, we're going to be more buoyant. We're going to maybe make it through. But, you know, how true it is that so often what we find that God is trying to get us to cast out a lot of cargo, a lot of things that are hanging on to us, things that, you know, weigh us down. And, uh, and so it makes sense that if you're in the storm, just check out, you know, well, what cargo am I carrying about that's really unnecessary? Things that I'm maybe thinking are so important to me, and yet God's saying, just, just throw those things off. Give them to me, even. Because Jesus said, you know, Come to me, and uh, you know I'll take the load. So often we're, we're trying to, you know, carry these burdens. And Jesus said, "Why don't you just come unto me, all ye that labour and heavy laden? I will give you rest. Give it to Him." You know, and uh, I have to do this so often and say, "Lord," you know, because you, suddenly you find you're getting overwhelmed with things, and then you just hear the Spirit of God saying, "Give it to me. Give it to me." And you know what? He takes it. Sometimes, you know, we can do that even in churches. We, 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 we enjoy the praise and worship and, you know, we're saying hallelujah. And then we go outside and then, you know, you see, so often what we do, we get outside this door and we pick the burden up again. Don't do it. Leave it with him. It may take time for you to really let it go, but, but I'll tell you that this is what you know, Jesus is wanting to do. He loves to take the load. He's already taken the load on the cross. It's no, no bother to him. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Give it to me. And so they had to lighten the load and hope that they could you know, last a little bit longer. Once they got rid of Jonah, of course, it says that the storm ceased. That was the, you know, God was in this. And God wasn't intending in destroying those sailors. But it also got them to call on the name of the Lord. And they had a powerful witness that when they did, and when they did what Jonah said, suddenly the storm ceased. That must have spoken volumes to them. And uh, they were not happy about actually throwing him overboard. It says that they... Uh, continued really to try and roll their way out of this, but uh, until he went overboard, nothing happened. And so again, we've got to lighten this load, beloved. And um, uh, when you do that, you know, the storms in your life, who do you call on when the storms 
a lot of people, you know, even believers, they go for worldly advice. And yet the psalmist says, you know, we're not to counsel with the ungodly. Psalm 1 is such an important psalm for us to, to meditate on. And if more believers did that, you know, you would be saved a lot of heartache because sometimes we feel that, well, I just got to tell this person about it and they say, oh, yes, it really is bad, isn't it? What's happening? And, uh, and yet it says, this is the man who is blessed, the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You know, God doesn't mind us having friends in the world in the sense of we can be witnesses to them. But if you begin to take their counsel, if you begin to respond to what they're telling you, then we really find that we are beginning to really struggle. But who is the person that's blessed? The one who delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Barnabas was sharing his testimony of how he's found that, that when he has done this, you know, that uh, things just seem to go so much better. Other things that were important are put to one side. We say, this is really what is blessing me. This is what is working for me. How important it is to stay with what the Word says. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. What shall he be like? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. I say about children, yes, they're going to make mistakes. And, and, and sometimes, you know, parents are a little bit surprised that even some of the awards that they get. You know, they get the, the, the award for the tidiest office. And yet, maybe, I don't know, I've heard parents say this to me in the past. You've given them this award, but you should see their bedroom. <laughs> but, but we say, hey, it's work in progress. It's okay. You know, we do watch over them in school, and they know that there is a award. But, you know, but it brings forth fruit in its season. We train up a child, but it takes years for them to get maybe to the place that's, that God is really producing through them. But the fact that the word is already going into them, it will induce season. It says its leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. See, that, that, that is the, the bottom line. And uh, that was the word that God gave to Joshua. He says, you know, when you go into this promised land, Moses didn't even get to go in. He saw it. Um, but that's all he was allowed to do. And remember, there was a disobedience even in Moses' life. And Joshua um, and, of course, Caleb were the two that, that entered in from the original uh, ones. And, uh, and God said, you know, Joshua, you've got to meditate day and night in my word. Observe to do all that's written therein. And when you do, you will prosper and you will have great success. It's all, you see, down to the meditation of the word. We, we have our children memorizing the scriptures, but, you know, we obviously have to see them also meditate the word. And so it's not just verbal coming out of their mouth. It's really working in them. And when that happens, this is the promise. That's why I have no fear in talking to any parents about putting their children into the school. And I know that there's big questions. Well, how can they get into universities and this kind of thing? Well, we now have got history, praise God. Uh, with several children, even at this time, in universities. And, uh, and the reason is that 
whatever God wants them to do, wherever God wants them to go, he will make it possible as long as we obey what he tells us to do, to train them up in the way they should go. And when we do that, God will open doors that seem to be... Because we hear about that all the time with, with students. And, um, you know, God just opens doors. And uh, it's amazing what he's doing with their lives. But it says... And then it goes on to talk about those who do not meditate the word. Those who do not serve the Lord. It says, the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They will be excluded. A lot of people don't like that. There are people teaching even in churches today that, you know, uh, there's this nihilism that's getting into um, different uh, churches and their doctrine saying, well, you know, when you're dead, you're dead. You know, and that... Um, uh, basically, those who are in Jesus, they go to heaven, but, you know, the sinners, they, they don't go to hell. They don't suffer. How could a, a God of love cause people to suffer eternally? Well, Jesus taught it. and He never told a lie. And yet we find that this is the kind of thing. And, but it says here, you know, that the sinners uh, do not partake in these things. They will not stand in the day of judgment there is a judgment that comes to every one of us. And uh, uh, thank God as believers, we're not judged on our sins anymore. That's already been taken care of. But we are judged on what we do with God's word and, and what he called us to do about our obedience and our responsibilities in church life and so on. And finally, it says in that psalm, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And uh, so thank God, we have come to the truth, but how much importance it puts on the fact we've got to tell people, you know, that this is God's word, this is God's truth. We can't run away from telling people about this glorious gospel. Even though they may be people that don't like us or love us, they may be our enemies, but Jesus said, you know, we've still got to go and tell them about the love of God. And that's where Nineveh, Nineveh was, the, the thorn in the... Uh, you know, Jonah's flesh, he, he just couldn't cope with this. How could God, you know, ask me to go and talk to these people, you know? And even in our natural life, we, we sometimes just want to be with the ones that we get on with. But God, sure enough, I mean, we see that with the school and children, but they're only a reflection of what happens in adult life as well. And we try to encourage the students to... You know, certainly forgive one another, communicate with one another, lift one another up, prefer one another. And, you know, we see people getting prizes, but it's what's in the heart of the ones who haven't got the prizes. Are you cheering for them? And it's great to see the children clapping and applauding and uh, rather than thinking, that should have been me, you know. I remember when um, I told this story so many times, but it reflects the kind of attitude that we have seen, you know, in AC students. And it was when James uh, Childs, and he, he was a good runner, and when he first went to convention, and he ran his heart out, actually managed to get into the final, and there were kind of six or seven boys in the final. They were all about, you know, twice as high as James, because James was small, and uh, he kind of stood out because he, he was small, but he could run. 
and, uh, and he ran as fast as he could in that final. It was his first year, and uh, I think back then they could actually go earlier than they can now. I forget, it might have been about 10 or 11. And he came six out of six. But the boy who won, I just watched this. He, he left all the accolade that was going on because he'd won. And he went to James. He said, well done. Well done, James. You know, and you'll do this one day. And you know what? A few years after, each year he got a little bit closer, but his, I think it was his final year at convention. He won. Not only won, he broke the record. But a lot of that is the character that's inside you know, we see that. We can't say it's in every student, but that is what, you know, Jesus wants to see. There's value in, in character. Not just wanting the accolades of people, but going and lifting up others who may be feeling, well, I didn't win, but lifting them up. And it's always on this basis. Usually on a lot of the awards that we, and we purposely do this in a lot of instances, we not only have a winner, but we have a runner-up. The idea of having a runner-up is so people can say, well, maybe next time I can achieve that. And it's always the sense of you know, aiming for the highest. We may not get there in certain ways, but, but it is good to see that we are preferring one another. It's what Paul taught the church. He said, you know, in all things, prefer one another. Put someone else first before you. And uh, rather than thinking that you always want to be top dog or whatever. That's the way of the world. And when they're top dog, they want to put everybody else down. But no, we should be lifting everybody up. Exactly what Jesus taught his disciples. If you want to be first in the kingdom, you must be the servant of all. You know, churches that kind of, they build up, you know, and we used to call it the pyramid years gone by. And it was when the heavy shepherding movement came in. And, uh, you know, they, what, what they did, they, they actually created a pope. Though it wasn't a Catholic thing, and, uh, and so people were all under this covering, and one man was at the top, basically. And yet, you know, the, the principle is that, you know, those who were serving and leading should actually be at the bottom, supporting everybody else. You know, we get it right, and God can bless that. And, uh, and yet, you know, um, these churches do grow and prosper in many ways, and some of them do great works, and we don't put that down. But we see that the principles of, of Jesus' ministry is what we must always go by and how he served. And, uh, and when he was serving the people, people were getting healed and blessed. And yes, there were people speaking against him and they'll always do that. But praise God, we're making it through. Amen. So, beloved, just to wind this up, storms may be in your life. Who do you call on? You know, Jonah was running from his responsibility. God has given you maybe something to do. But call on the name of Jesus. Amen. As many as call on his name will be saved. And we must define who our God is. You know, there are many gods in this world as there were in this boat. None of those gods could help one bit. But there was one God, Jehovah God, who was able to still that storm at any time. And of course, we saw that happen. And when Jesus is in the boat, it's interesting, isn't it, you know, because uh, Jesus quotes about Jonah when he was on the earth. 
And uh, he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale or the belly of the fish, he says, so will the Son of Man be. And of course, the three days and three nights. Um, and he actually was saying that this book was prophetic about actually him and, and how true that is. And, and again, we see that same kind of thing that we, we find that Jesus was asleep in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and the storm blew up. And the disciples were in panic. Sometimes we get in panic, don't we? And we shouldn't because if Jesus is in the boat with you, he'll take care of the storm. And that's important. He is, he's in your vessel. He's in your very heart. And therefore, don't panic, don't fear, as these mariners were fearing. You don't have to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. But they woke him up and they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus was as calm as everything. He was, he was having a good sleep in the midst of a storm. And the reason being is because the Father had told Jesus that he was to go to the other side and preach. So if Father told him to go to the other side and preach, he knew it was going to go to the other side, irrespective of any interference of the enemy. And so then, of course, Jesus stood up in the boat, rebuked the wind, and uh, it completely disappeared. Praise God. And he said, peace, be still. That's all he said. Sometimes we have to speak that into our troubled heart. Say, peace, be still. And know God. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. So is your God. Your God is the God of the universe. He is the God of all creation. He is the God who takes us through every situation. Let the cargo go. Cast it out. Things that are not necessary. And uh, trust the Lord because he's going to take you through, beloved. Amen. We're going to learn so much through this book of Jonah, far more than I expected, I believe. And ultimately, we're going to see revival. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if we get to that section and, and all revival breaks out in Dewsbury and... Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, please check out www.dewsburygospelchurch.org.uk.